Hi, this is Blaze. Welcome to another episode of the How I Learn series podcast. This story was recorded at our four-year anniversary show in February of 2013, and um, it's a story by Catherine Lanfer, who's a journalist, broadcaster, author. She's the host of uh, Upstairs at the Square, where she's interviewed people like Patti Smith and Fred Armisen and... Uh, who else? Jimmy Fallon, Cheryl Strayed, Richard Hell. Um, she was also the co-host of The Al Franken Show on Air America. So here she is telling a story um, in light of our anniversary. She's telling a story about a party she threw for her parents' 60th wedding anniversary. And she, as she was telling the story, she put on um, a vintage apron. It was really cute. It, had, it was white with um, black polka dots. And uh, that's how committed she was to the bit. She put on a vintage apron. So uh, here she is. Enjoy. Um, first, I just wanted to say that um, this is the anniversary show, and I'm going to tell an anniversary story, but I know this is the last story. Let's give them a round of applause for their fourth anniversary. <laughs> Um, in honor of the fourth anniversary, I thought I would tell an anniversary story of my own. And it's not, in fact, the fact that um, tomorrow is almost the ninth anniversary of when I moved to New York. It's, it's a different anniversary. I'm going to tell you about the 60th wedding anniversary of my parents, Don and Jean Lanfer, in Moline, Illinois. <clears throat> oh, what? Like you haven't seen an apron. <laughs> Don and Jean are depression babies. That means that um, they grew up, they were children during the hardest years of the depression, and that's something that doesn't leave you. Um, they met in 1948. Um, my father in Moline, Illinois, which by the way is a small metropolis on the Mississippi River in northern Illinois, right across the way from Davenport, <laughs> another metropolis. My father was working as a grease monkey um, at an auto repair garage, and a transmission fell on his head. As it does. Um, he was underneath the jacked up car, a bolt slipped, transmission falls in his head, he goes to the emergency room, um, where a nurse there recognizes him and says, Don, what are you doing Friday? Apparently he wasn't clipped that hard. Um, it turns out that she needed someone to round out a double date um, that Friday night for the ice follies. And my father went, and his double date was my mother. They had dated for you know many months, I want to remind you, this is 1948, and my father turns to her and says that he needs space. <laughs> Which proves, by the way, that in 60, 70 years, lines have not improved for men. <laughs> space? He needs space in 1948? <laughs> I mean, really. So my mother gives him the space, which proves, by the way, that she is a superior strategic thinker. <laughs> because within weeks, he is tired of the space. He goes to the dormitory of the nursing school that she attends. He knocks on the door. The matron answers. He'd like to see Jean. Oh, Jean's on a date. Oh, exactly. Sound effects are welcomed. Oh, this is not good. He finds Jean as soon as he can. And he takes her out for the, a country drive, pulls the car over by a cornfield, opens up the glove compartment, and pulls out a ring box. Gives it to my mom and says, well... <laughs> Did I waste my money? 
and upon that romantic foundation, their union was formed. I mentioned that they are depression babies. One year for their anniversary, they bought each other a very fancy porcelain European toilet. I suggested that they flush it 38 times, one for each year. This did not go over very well. You would think that by the time they reached their 50th wedding anniversary, there would be a lot of paper mache golden bells and streamers in the church basement, you know, bad Lutheran coffee, layer cake. I mean, I know my people are here somewhere, right? Do not pretend. Do not pretend. Okay. But we, they didn't. We didn't do that. Um, by that point, my parents had survived a lot. They had buried all their parents. They had buried their siblings. In fact, they had even buried their only son, their only other child, my brother. In addition to that, I was going through a divorce, and my mother thought it was unseemly to have a church basement 50th wedding anniversary when I couldn't even eke out 10 years of marriage. <laughs> I have to tell you what it is like to go to long married people and to say that you can't even cut it more than 10 years, right? Although, they were great. Um, in many ways, I thought my mother was wrong because my parents had told me what to hold out for. And one night I was talking to my dad and I explained to him that the man I had married and was now divorcing was a lovely man, but that he prioritized and prized two things more than me, his career in the theater and his beloved mother in another country. And my dad said, "Hun, no one should be in third place. <laughs> so they had my back. I know, I know. So the 60th wedding anniversary is coming up and I'm thinking, this is it. This is it. This is my last chance to give them the brouhaha that they deserve. And I admit, I also had another plan in mind. Um, I grew up with depression baby parents, which means that whenever something of value, something of beauty, something that was precious came into our house, it was immediately whisked into a closet, or it was wrapped in felt, or layered between tissue paper and covered in satin ribbon, because it was going to be there for good. You might ask, what do you mean she was keeping it for good? Good was this ineffable day that would never arrive. Their platinum-rimmed wedding china, I saw it once in my life so far, right? The silver painstakingly, you know, collected piece by piece by piece, the etched glassware from grandma, the linens handed down generate, oh, that's all for good. All for good, we can't use that. Paper plates, you don't even have to wash them. So, I realized that what we should do for their 60th wedding anniversary is we should gather everyone who survived from this, the ceremony, the flower girl, the maid of honor, my favorite cousin who was 12 at the time of the ceremony, and gather them for a grand luncheon for the octogenarian set in my family's home. We'll just pull out all the stops and we'll use everything that's good. Oh, hon, my mom said, no. You have to wash all that by hand. <laughs> I said, excuse me, what is good? What are we waiting for, your 75th wedding anniversary? So I treated it like it was my own wedding. You should have seen me in Moline. I went to the best bakery. I got a two-tier buttercream frosting French vanilla cake. I found the sugar paste artist who was about in retirement, pulled her out of retirement to make <clears throat> poinsettias to go along the cake that looks so real you wanted to put them on your wreath, right? Because this was a December wedding we were celebrating. Went to the little confectionery. I got little boxes of chocolate with Don and Jean and their wedding date on it. <clears throat> I, oh, and I got the Belgian caterer that everyone used to Moline. This was an event, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you. So the, the, day, the day arrives, the big day arrives, 
And I get up and I am giddy as a bride. And I come downstairs in the family home and my mother's there and she is not so much. She's holding a basket of laundry and she says, whatever you do, don't put me next to him. And looks over at my dad who already looks like a bear who has lost his favorite tree in the forest because we moved the lazy boy to make room for the tables, right? And he's sitting on the sofa and he's going, what I do, what I do, what the hell I do? And I thought, isn't that sweet? 60 years and there is still mystery. (laughs) He doesn't know what he did. So they were out of sorts, but by the time we got them into their special outfits and we put on the boutonnieres and the corsages, oh, I wish you could have seen the tables, the evergreens, the tapers, the votives, the platinum, tingle, 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 everything was just, you know, everything was brilliant and bouncing with light. Um, The maid of honor came in, Virginia, my mom's best friend, she had her walker, she clomped into the kitchen. I said, Virginia, you look beautiful, and she pulled me over and she said, this is what I'm going to wear in my casket. You party with octogenarians? They put it out. That's all I'm going to say. So pretty soon there was this kind of beautiful golden buzz. There was a toing and a froing, uh, walkers coming in and out, getting people sitting there. Um, I had these friends who flew in from everywhere or who drove in to help me. All of the women wore vintage aprons that my mother had saved and starched and ironed. All with... Come with me. For good, right? We were using them. Okay. And my friend Craig, who was the multimedia journalist at Time Magazine at that time, he flew in from New York to make a video of this event, which my father loved because that Wednesday at his you know, weekly breakfast with his fellas, he could say, yeah, Time Magazine's covering it. <laughs> he said, oh, you should have seen Jake. He nearly dropped his teeth. My mother, normally very shy, by the end of the day, was so familiar with the boom mic. Craig, I'm going over here now. (laughs) What happened to her? Um, There was also a magic champagne bottle that no matter where, you know, my mother would only let us buy one champagne bottle because she didn't want anyone to get tipsy at this lunch. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. It wasn't a magnum. It was just a real bottle of Chandon, which is pretty highfalutin stuff in Moline. So... It never went dry, which was especially amazing because there was this one cousin who had driven in from Alito who I never thought of as a drinker. And every time we walked by her place setting, she would go, hit me. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd pour some more. There was this beautiful sort of golden buzz that started. People started telling stories. My mother told the story of how when she was in the nursing school dormitory and she got she couldn't get in past curfew and this was a serious thing. Her, you know, her widowed mother had given the family fortune so she could go to nursing school and in those days if your honor was destroyed, you were out. So, when she and dad didn't, you know, he, when he didn't get her home in time, Um, Her roommates quickly put a bolster. You think this is made up. They really did this. They put a bolster under the bedspread, you know, a a hairnet, something else, so that when Matron opened the door, it looked like Jean was there. And then everyone was complimenting my dad's skill at picking locks. Because apparently he was really good at picking the lock of the front door of the nurse's school dormitory. And this is what I love, the whole Venus-Mars thing. All the women were going, ah, my dad stood up and said, yeah, well, it was a spring mechanism. Let me demonstrate. (laughs) 
but it was this beautiful moment, you know. You, at one point, Cousin Henry, who had driven in from Naperville, stood up and gave this beautiful speech about love and marriage and longevity and how it isn't who does the dishes and it isn't who takes out the garbage. And I realized my mother had turned off her hearing aid. <laughs> she was just smiling beautifully. I didn't hear a thing. But by the time we brought out the poinsettia-decked cake... Everyone was cheering, and I suddenly thought of Babette's Feast. Do you know this story, Babette's Feast, by Isaac Dennison? It's this wonderful story about a meal so transformative that when the very pious and stoic church elders partake of it, their younger lives are restored to them. Former lovers kiss once more. Enemies forgive each other their transgressions and embrace. Embittered hearts become soft and pliable. I looked at my parents and the years had dropped from their faces. You could see the handsome man who had pulled the car over next to a cornfield. You could see the mischievous nurse who knew exactly what step was squeaky going upstairs in the nurse's dormitory. In the Isaac Dennison story, there is a church elder who was so overcome by the grace of this meal that he feels compelled to give a short sermon on grace. And he reminds us that grace is always there, it is infinite, and that all it asks of us is that we await it with confidence and acknowledge it with gratitude. My parents celebrated their 63rd wedding anniversary at Friendship Manor last December. My mom is in the nursing care unit. Um, my dad is still in their independent living apartment, um, which is flocked with little tiny pieces of yellow paper that he's taped to the walls because his memory is now a ribbon. But I can tell you that I know tonight he lumbered down the hallway to sit by her before they both retired and that he sat next to her trying to figure out how to get her past curfew. Grace is infinite. Grace only asks that we wait for it with confidence and that we acknowledge it with gratitude because, my friends, it is all in the mechanism. The How I Learned series is a storytelling, reading, comedy show that takes place once a month in New York City on the Lower East Side at a lovely bar called Happy Ending. And it's created, produced, and hosted by me, Blaze Allison Kearsley. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben Fausch. And the music you're hearing is 13 by Big Star. I hope you enjoyed this episode and um, that story by Catherine Lanfer. And... Uh, hope to see you soon at a How I Learn series show. You can check out more info at howilearnseries.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>